My interest is in creating impact. Okay. You know, I think that's it more than anything. It's it's like demonstrating to you that wow, you know, this is cool. This is different. This is great in an in an in important way. Podcast junkies, we are back with episode one four nine. Hello, hello. I am Harry Duran, host of this show. If you are new, then welcome, welcome, welcome. So happy to see new people finding the show every single week, and I'm excited to share all the great stuff we're doing. Uh, I'd love your feedback. If you're new, then definitely don't forget to say hi on Twitter or on Facebook. We have a private group just for the show. It's called Podcast Junkies. Junkies, make sure you log in. Uh, you don't have to log in. It's Facebook. <laughs> make sure you uh, ask to join and say hi. We just interview awesome hosts, and it's it's funny how they come to me sometimes. I'm now getting press releases from new shows um, that are being introduced into iTunes, or sorry, Apple Podcasts, and I always have these opportunities to talk to people that I otherwise would not have been able to connect with if it wasn't for the show. So this week is pretty interesting. I get to speak to Mark Ramsey. He's a veteran radio broadcaster and host of two new shows, Inside Psycho and the newly released Inside the Exorcist. These are really interesting shows. They're not a fan show, and we talk about the difference in our interview. Um, They're actually a behind-the-scenes peek, and I think we're going to start to see more of these types of shows. Um, We talk about why they're so important, why they're different from the fan base shows. We talk uh, with Mark about how he got connected with Hernan Lopez of Wondery, uh, regular listeners will know that he was episode 102 on Podcast Junkies, and Hernan is doing some really big things with Wondery, amazing things. If you saw what they did with um, Dirty John, it was just absolutely incredible. Living here in Los Angeles, it was just a surreal moment when um, Dirty John appeared on the cover of the uh, Sunday evening um, Los Angeles Times. It was just crazy. I think at one point they owned the whole top banner in Apple Podcasts as well. So I'm glad we got him on the show because he's probably in demand right now. So uh, I'm I'm happy we got to speak to him before he even got bigger than he was at that moment. Um, Mark also talks about how he came up with the Inside Psycho podcast series. Um, We talk about replicating the success that is the recipe of, of a show like Silence on the Lambs on his shows, um, why you should be creating your, your own unique format instead of replicating other shows, and actually what you can expect to hear on the first episode of Inside the Exorcist. This is a really interesting conversation, and I learned a lot of things. He's such a veteran of um, the space, and I'm really happy that we got to connect. In case you missed uh, last week, we had a really fun conversation with Annette Bone. She's the host of Dance, the Dancepreneuring Studio. She's such a treat, such a, a, a great uh, soul, and just a, really vibrant. Um, uh, you can hear the enthusiasm <laughs> in her voice in our conversation. So make sure you check that out. That was episode 148. All the show notes, uh, all the links, and some tweetables for this show with Mark are available, as always, at podcastjunkies.com slash 149. So make sure you stay till the end of the show. We reveal a super magic secret retention hashtag to see who's paying attention. But for now, enjoy my conversation with Mark. So Mark Ramsey, uh, host of Inside the Exorcist, thank you so much for joining us on Podcast Junkies. Oh, it's my pleasure. 
So uh, we were connected. Uh, I had known of this, but I do know of Wondery because um, Hernan Lopez, the, the founder of Wondery, uh, we had him on Podcast Junkies um, for the start of the second season. So I've uh, been watching what he's been doing with the network and been pretty excited at some of the innovative things that are happening over there. Yeah, he's, uh, he's awesome, isn't he? Yeah. How did you guys connect? I had met uh, his head of content at an event that I was at, and I knew their background, and I had this idea. And the idea was to kind of go inside and tell the stories surrounding the making of these legendary blockbuster movies and to tell them in a kind of an original, fresh way. And, and um, I uh, kn- knew all the people in the podcast space, uh, and I got to pick who I wanted to approach mm-hmm. first. And they were the first people I approached, and they said yes. And I went to them first because they both had a background in television, and I knew that what I was creating was a television series without pictures yeah. and uh, that they would have the sensibility. I thought their sensibility would be more tuned to it than someone who came say from a, you know, documentaries or public radio or whatever. And was this your first foray into podcasting? Cause I know you have a strong radio background, strong radio background. And also I, uh, there's another show uh, that's a business to business show I've been doing for some time with a, a branding guru uh, called media unplugged. But that's really a special purpose thing. This is, I wouldn't call it my first foray, uh, but it's certainly my first, you know, B2C, business to consumer foray for sure. And we wanted to really make this a, uh, a big deal. And um, more than anything, I guess I look at the podcast space and I say, well, the top of the charts don't look like America. They kind of look mm-hmm. like a fraction of America. Yeah. They look like people who want, you know, to get their public radio shows on demand, get some of their TV shows on demand, get more of their favorite comedians, I guess, get some specialty shows and get a whole lot of true crime. Yeah. And um, all of that stuff is, is great, but it just seems like, well, where's the rest? You know, when, I, when I'm thinking about what to watch at night and I think, well, I want to watch Stranger Things, yeah. um, you know, I don't want to watch the show where people talk about Stranger Things. I actually want to watch Stranger Things, you know. Where's the rest of the appetite of the American public, and how is that represented in the podcast space? Is that the same type of feeling you have uh, when you look at Netflix? Because it's it's I mean sometimes I get frustrated because there's an overabundance of opportunity there, but I find myself scrolling and scrolling for something that actually looks good enough to watch. Well, that's that's the uh, the psychological principle of uh, you know choice paralysis, right? The yeah. more stuff you can choose from, the less you actually choose. And, there's been experiments where people go into supermarkets that there are too many flavors of, you know, marmalade, too many flavors of preserves. They actually won't buy one at all. They'll actually walk out and leave. Yeah. So I think some of that is what's at play on Netflix. The other thing is I, I, I feel like Netflix is making a lot of artistic decisions that are more about kind of the Hollywood creative community mm. than necessarily about viewers. I mean, when you look at the wide array of documentaries they have and you know and i know that the audience for documentaries is paper thin and yet there's a whole bunch on netflix that they get behind and i think that's because documentaries are a big part of the of the filmmaking community and that ingratiates them towards filmmakers and that's good for their future so i think that's part of what it is and that said i think you know the difference between um the the odds of getting a walking dead or stranger things are slim to none. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it takes an awful lot of frogs to find that one prince. (laughs) Yeah. When, can you remember when uh, podcasts came onto your radar? Um, 
I think pretty early on, um, when in the days when I was complaining about how awful a term podcast was, <laughs> and then it was people would say, well, yeah, but that horse has already left the barn. And I knew it had, but yeah. I thought still, and I had some alternatives to podcasts, which were in their own ways, infinitely more dreadful. Um, oh, I, oh, I don't oh. even remember what they were. I don't remember okay. what they were, but they were, they were, they were just bad. I yeah. was, I was free freestyling, you sure. know, and they were just bad. But, um, I mean, you could argue nobody cares what it's called, but at the same time, you know, when you're looking for people to kind of embrace a new platform, they've got to understand what you're asking them to do. I had people uh, in front of my house for Halloween. We had among other things, uh, Linda Blair, um, you know, life-size animatronic exorcist thing. And her head was spinning around yeah. people. The adults would walk by and they'd say, who, who was that that played the, the girl in the exorcist again? As a Linda Blair. Oh yeah. Yeah. Linda Blair. That's right. I mean, to, to, to say, Oh, and I've got a show about the making of this and it's available wherever you get your podcast. It's like throwing all these terms at me that don't yeah. make any sense. And as I like to say, the fact that we have to have this uh, videos created on how to listen to podcasts, the fact that you have to have, you know, if people bring their grandmother on to demonstrate how easy it is to listen to a podcast. The more you have to bring on a grandmother to demonstrate how easy it is to listen, the harder it is to listen. Okay. <laughs> That's the litmus test. Yeah. That is the litmus test. When you have to create videos about how easy it is to do something, that's your sign. It's hard to do. Yeah. And I don't know. And the Apple podcast environment doesn't make it any easier. In my opinion, I'm no. not crazy about the app at all. You know, I remember the first time my wife tried to add a podcast to the previous version and she she clicked add podcast and then it said enter you know and enter uh, RSS, RSS. <laughs> and she was like stymied you know yeah and it's like well why if you're gonna make look we live in a world where the last time I was in an Uber almost every time I'm in an Uber the guy or the woman driving is listening to the radio they've got all the technology in the world at their disposal they use this technology for their livelihood and yet. They're listening to the radio. Why? Is it because radio is that great? Maybe. But more likely, it's because radio is that easy. And that's where this yeah. whole category needs to get. Um, so can can you talk a little bit about how you decided on this specific topic, Inside Psycho, for the, the first series you wanted to do? Yeah, Inside Psycho was the first series. Inside Exorcist is the second. And uh, now, and they're both available now wherever podcasts are to be heard. Um, how did I decide on that first one? Well, I knew I wanted to do something that was that was uh, iconic and something that was relevant. And you don't normally think of a movie that's, you know, 67 years old as relevant. However, um, or 57, whatever, the, I'm, I'm bad on my math <laughs> right now. But if you think about it, here's a movie that was just remade by A&E as okay. Bates Motel. Uh, Exorcist is on Fox TV right now. If you look at these things, and then you've got other things in the horror genre, like American Horror Story and others. So there's, there's, and and to say nothing of Walking Dead. Mm -hmm. uh, um, so it's a very rich uh, genre, and that movie, both these movies, in fact, are as I think relevant today. Certainly, they are. Um, they are influential today. Um, certainly, they you know, made a big difference in what came after them. 
And as I look at the other things in that category, that just isn't true. You can even go back to other classic movies and say, well, you know, where's the uh, where's the modern manifestation of Casablanca? Mm -hmm. Well, there isn't any. Right. It's just a lot of what is classic just doesn't have legs today. I mean, nobody's going to do, you know, a TV series called Casablanca. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's almost like it's it was perfect for the time and the period in which it, it came out and it, if you did try to recreate it just the times were different so the the impact that it had on on the people that watched it i think had something to do with the, with, the, with the timing while that happening yeah uh, that's certainly true that that's why i look at uh i i i look at when people say oh are you going to do psycho 2 <laughs> or are you going to do and they'll just name some movie that is just infinitely more obscure than the one i just did and what they need to understand is, no, I need to go like bigger than that. I need to mm-hmm. go. We can't go deeper. You yeah. know, we can't go nichier. I mean, I could go nichier, but it's not very interesting because you end up appealing, appealing to fewer people. You end up dealing with less, less scholarship. I mean, it takes a lot of homework to put mm-hmm. these together because we're dealing with it's it's basically a um, it's basically what I call an audiographic novel. So it's one fast-paced scene followed by another, uh, followed by another, where we're weaving the story in between kind of, you know, me kind of role-playing a little bit with storytelling and amazing immersive audio yeah. that really, really makes a huge difference from the, the incomparable Jeff Schmidt. And when you put all that together, it's a, it's a great story, but it's really hard to do. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of scholarship. So unless there's books written on this stuff and documentaries made on this, you know, it's really, really difficult to do. Yeah, I imagine it must be a lot of research when you figure out what was, what was the background of not only how did the show start, because that's how you started the episodes. You talked about the real life story, which became the book, which was then opted into the movie. And so people, I don't know that people actually go back that far to understand the source material. And then I think that it sounds like what you're saying is like that colors you, your selection of uh, what order you'll tell the story in and what's the feeling you want the listener to have at specific points with the music. Yeah. I mean, really what some people I think don't understand is that, you know, so, so many people are used to getting documentaries on audio. They're used to journalism. They're used to true crime reenactments. They're used to NPR that, um, when you give them something that's different from that, it's hard to understand. Yet if I go to the movie theater and I say, and, and, and here's a movie from Martin Scorsese about Howard Hughes, a, bio, a biopic about Howard Hughes. No one says, yeah, well, I don't think Howard said exactly that <laughs> at that point, you know? Yeah. And Leo DiCaprio isn't, he doesn't quite look exactly like Howard Hughes. You know, when people say, uh, I, I saw one review that said, well, it's not really it's it's kind of meta reality it's kind of meta nonfiction it's not really nonfiction so I, to which i said well interesting so when you watch the people versus oj simpson on fx is your conclusion you know that guy he, he doesn't quite look like oj thus there's no credibility in this show at all yeah no i mean you know bio useful um and that's what this is it's an audio biopic and not everything in it is exactly accurate. It's not a documentary. It's not a director's mm-hmm. commentary. It's a story that's bigger than the story I'm telling. And that's why it's interesting. And that's why all stories are interesting. You know, the, you go back to the beginnings of stories, right? Yeah. They're not all literally true. <laughs> a little, embellish, little embellishment along the way. 
there's embellishment along the way because there's a point to these stories which has to be told in such a way as to make them more impactful. And that's what I'm doing with, with both these. Both of these, in fact, have themes that are bigger than just here's what happened in the making of Psycho. Here's what happened in the making of The Exorcist. And I'm really, really proud of that. And I hope that that's evident to the people who listen to it, that I'm getting something out of this that's bigger than the story I expected to get. Hmm. Is it, does it have much more impact because it's based in, in, in real life and people, actual people were involved as opposed to doing it uh, based on a movie that's just pure uh, made up in the author's mind fiction? You mean that because the origin story is yeah, real? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think that necessarily has to do with it. Okay. I, I think the fact that the players in the movie are real people doing real things with real concerns and real, you know, uh, conflicts uh, and 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 real successes and failures. I, I think knowing that Alfred Hitchcock bet it all for this movie. Here was the most incredibly successful director of his era. Yeah. And yet no one would make this ridiculous you know, low budget day class A movie he wanted to make about this guy who dresses as his mother and stabs people in the shower. No one wanted to make that. Uh, Hitchcock had to put his own money into that. He had to, he had to, he actually uh, negotiated the rights to the movie mm-hmm. in exchange for putting his own money in. Meanwhile, Paramount distributed it and Universal allowed him to shoot it on their, on their back lot. Um, but people really didn't want to touch it. Paramount was relieved that it wasn't their movie when it came out because it was just so cut rate. Yeah. And yet it became by far Hitchcock's most successful movie. And more to the point, he was never able to equal, let alone top, what he did with that movie. And that's, to me, the most interesting story. The most interesting story of that series is here's what someone goes through when they take a big chance on something. They don't know if it's going to work or not. And you know what? If it is um, wildly successful, beyond your wildest dreams, then what? Then everyone mm-hmm. looks at you and says, what's next, Hitch? <laughs> yeah. and, you, and you don't know. And what does that feel like? And what does that do to somebody? And then the story after that of how he was kind of really mistreated by the Hollywood community. I mean, the man never won an Oscar for the quality of his work. He won, he won honorary Oscars, but he never won an Oscar because he made a great movie hmm. ever. And he was always resentful of that and always felt like they were looking down their nose at him, no matter how successful he could be. And there's a thread of that in Exorcist, too. Oh, yeah. Um, so it's, it's really interesting to see kind of the human feelings that these human beings have as they go through the process of, of making art. Yeah. You know, that's what you're doing with your podcast. I mean, you want people to enjoy it. You go through a lot to produce it. It's costly. Um, and it takes a lot out of you, and you hope at the end of the day the world is better off for your effort, but you don't really know. But that's your hope. And, you know, that kind of feeling that's inside these people, that's what was interesting to me, and I hope that's what comes out of these shows. Yeah, it, it definitely is, and in in the episodes that I've listened to, I think you can just sense the amount of work and, and, and effort you've put into it to, to, to help it have that effect, and, and, and so kudos, to, kudos for that. Um, oh, this this is so relevant because I was watching the uh, HBO special last night with Steven Spielberg. I don't know if you saw the documentary on him. It's really I've fascinating. Seen a, yeah, I've seen about half of it. Yeah, and I'm enjoying it very much. And it speaks to a lot of the the, the points you brought up with Alfred Hitchcock in the same way <laughs> Spielberg went through something similar. It it does, and that makes I, I think when you see that, and you know, every one of these guys who who invest themselves in these 
creative concepts, you know, Spielberg, Steve Jobs with his with both Apple and Pixar, Hitchcock, uh, Friedkin, all of these guys have strengths and, and, and flaws. And but understanding kind of what's at the root of that, there's a story of this very vulnerable person mm -hmm. and they're vulnerable in different ways. I mean, Spielberg was basically, you know, a geek who um, was never the cool kid and never really could find acceptance and um, and then had to suffer the breakup of his family. And all mm -hmm. of that left this imprint on him and how that kind of plays out in the future is itself a really interesting story. And, and, and that's what I'm trying. I hope at the end of the day that the market for podcasts is bigger than the people who want to hear so-and-so yeah. murdered by so-and-so, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I hope that the market's bigger as much as yeah. with all due respect to true crime, what else is there? Yeah. And I hope there's a market for something else out there. Yeah. I'm, I'm so happy you said that because it's super hot now and, and it, it seems to be tapping into some sort of vein of interest that was always there. And you know, people are fascinated by Silence of the Lambs and all these movies. But I think it's just you can't, you know, uh, go too far without hearing about a new true crime podcast in the works. Well, I mean, Silence of the Lambs is a good example, right? Yeah. Because that's I mean, if that were just about, you know, Buffalo Bill. Yeah. Um, uh, the, it would be forgettable today, but I mean, that was one of the few, I think R rated horror movies. If I remember right enough, I, th I think it's fair to call it a horror movie, even though Jonathan Demme would probably call it a thriller Yeah, that, uh, won an Oscar for best picture. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and the reason is because it's got, it operates on multiple levels and that's in our own way. What we're trying to do with this show is we're trying to operate on multiple levels. There's a psychological level. There's mm -hmm. a human level there's a horror level um there's a, a suspense level and that's what we're we're trying to do and i'm looking forward to in fact not having a an origin story that involves murder mm. <laughs> <laughs> that to justify the rest of the yeah. story and in fact you know we had psycho was boiled down to an hour-long version and broadcast on 80 um, um, news talk radio stations uh, over the holiday season, yeah, over the yeah, yeah. Halloween season. And one of my big concerns was because a big chunk of that hour, or at least some portion of it, was the whole Ed Gein, you know, story of the Ed Gein's home and um, his uh, 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 murdering, of, of, uh, mass murder of so yeah. many people and so on. And I was worried that that would be too much, but nobody pushed back on it at all. So I thought, well, I thought this would be the one thing that someone, some of these stations were running this at like five and 6 a.m. on a Saturday, <laughs> Sunday morning. And I thought, okay. It's oh, it's a bit of War of the Worlds because it's like, if you didn't know that this was coming on and, uh, you know, people would be like, we interrupt your regularly scheduled program. <laughs> yeah, I should have done it. I should have done a War of the Worlds type frame on it. That would have been great, especially in News Talk, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't think of that. That would have been great. That's what I was thinking I when said, I saw the, the press release come across. Yeah. Yeah. Where did you hone your storytelling skills? I didn't. Um, I'm, uh, they're always evolving. Uh, I mean, I, I, I learn from the same things we all learn from. Here's what I believe, though. I believe that when it comes to audio in particular, that audio can be so potent for this and that too often we underutilize it. And we don't, I mean, the reason why the, the audio sound design is so lush mm -hmm. for what inside psycho and inside the exorcist are is because I really felt like to not make it lush is to underutilize it. Some people say, Oh, it's too many 
too many sound effects. <laughs> no, they're exactly. That's like saying in a movie there are too many sound effects. Yeah. No, stop this nonsense. You know, not everything has to be this American life. With all due respect to this American life. I mean, just I'm sure there's people they, clapping that you're actually saying that. Right well, they, you know, just because you can be a public radio show and you go into a crowd in, you know, the Middle East, and here's we're in it, we're in a bazaar in in you know Casablanca, and hear all the sound effects of the bazaar, and now we move out of that and we're someplace else. You know, that's not the end all and be all of audio. Mm -hmm. Just having environmental audio isn't the end all and be all of audio. This is audio. This is one of our our keenest senses. Yeah. And also, I would argue, this is one of the senses that can most make us afraid. Mm. And, you know, it's not an accident that when Spielberg did Jaws. I was just thinking about that. that. <laughs> of course. Yeah. He said, what did he say? He said, the reason why the movie was as scary as it was is because the shark was never working. Yeah. Because if you had seen more of the shark, it wouldn't have been so scary. But we couldn't show the shark, so we had to work around it. Can you imagine how bad Jaws would be if it came out today? <laughs> yeah. I mean, with all the CGI. And, you know, yeah. the other thing about CGI that they do is everything is very symmetrical with CGI. Mm -hmm. You know, if something is swirling at you, it's swirling at you in perfect, you know, concentric circles. <laughs> yeah. It's like, that's not, that's not that's nature. Not, yeah. That's not nature. Nature's you imperfect. Know, it is nature in a sense, but nature is, nature is not perfect at the macro level, only at the micro level. Right. Yeah. So, um, so I, I'm so glad that, you know, we can demonstrate that power. I know when, when Jeff and I were working on the conclusion, which I won't, I won't spoil for exorcist, you know, we would say, you know, this has to be more that, and we need more space here. We need more time there. And, you know, as much as we want to fill this, the, the, the gap with sound, let's put a little more silence here, mm. you know, and we were actually using silence as one of our colors. Mm. And very often, you know, silence is, and I, on so many of these docu-series, you know, they want to do without, they want to subtract sound, or we don't want to have sound that's not real and organic. We don't have sound that didn't exist in the moment. Mm -hmm. We don't have sound that's not recorded live. Fine. Okay. If you're doing journalism, that's fine. But this is not journalism. This is entertainment first and foremost. And, you know, if we, if, if podcasting is really to be as big as it could be much bigger than it is, by the way, then it's got to tap into what the rest of us want, which is entertainment, which is, you know, it, it, which is kind of fulfilling the promise of our ears and not just repurposing what we do on public radio, repurposing what we do on television, on, on journalism programs. It's got to be richer than that and not repurposing Dateline NBC. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's so almost like a pendulum uh, swing as, uh, because with everything that came out of uh, public radio, everyone for a while felt like that's the only model that there was to replicate. And I think, you know, what you're pointing out is that there's such a wide, diverse, uh, categories of what can be called sound and sound immersive. I think we're just, um, you know, just, just beginning to get our feet wet. Well, I think so. And that, that's what I really want people to pay attention to. And I'm not in any way saying that Inside Exorcist, Inside Psycho is somehow state of the art and is better than these other things. I'm saying it's different from mm -hmm. these other things. And if you understand what that difference is, maybe you can model your own difference. You know, if you aspire to being different, maybe you'll be different. But if you aspire, to being, you know, well, I heard this on, you know, This American Life, so I'm going to emulate that. And, oh, serial is the new model. Well, no, serial is the same model as This American Life. It's just applied to a story told over, you know, 10 episodes or whatever it is. So, I mean, that, to me, that's the same kind of journalism. It is, and it is journalism. 
And um, there's room for that. There's tons of room for that, tons of interest in that. But I just don't believe that's all there is. Mm -hmm. I think people who watch entertaining television shows, I would like to think that there's some model that can attract them in audio. Uh, What is that? If I watch NCIS, you know, everyone's always down on NCIS. It's only like the number one show on television, you know. But what, what about NCIS viewers? You know, what is there for them? And I don't really know the answer to that because one of the challenges with the podcast space is if you're not already in it, you need a really good reason to get into it. Hmm. And I mean, I'm talking about listeners now. Yeah. And because, you know, you see the podcast app. What the hell is that? It's sitting <laughs> on my phone. You know, yeah. I don't I don't need, I've never said to myself, I need a podcast. You know, no human being has ever said if there weren't podcasts, no one would ever say I need a podcast. Right. Yeah. But you know what? Audiobooks have been around for a long time because it was a very easy transition to say it's a book, but it's audio. You can listen to it. You don't have to read it. It makes it mobile. You can hear it wherever you are. I mean, people get that. But even audiobooks, right? It's a guy reading the exact book verbatim. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it does. The bar doesn't get any lower than that. <laughs> yeah, he just has to have a good voice. Yeah, I mean, we, we it's it's interesting to go back to old radio shows from the 40s and so on, you know, the so-called golden age, and you hear the production quality on those shows, and honestly, a lot of it's not that great, <laughs> yeah. you know? I mean, a lot of it's okay, but, you know, heavy emphasis on the organ, you know, <laughs> the pipe organ sound. Yeah. It's like between scenes. And Phantom of the Opera. There's a lot of organ in those old, you know, there's a way it used to go, da-da, you know, which yeah. has been translated to soap operas as someone staring at the camera as they <laughs> cut to the next scene. That's you know, there, it's like it's it's there's room for so much more innovation and rooms yeah. for so much more exciting content. And I don't pretend in any way that this is the end all and be all. I would like to see more original content. I would like to see more. Um, but the, again, original content's hard because people need a path in, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a path into this original content is. Well, it's about The Exorcist. Well, I'm a fan of The Exorcist. There's my path. I'm a fan of Billy Friedkin or Linda Blair. There's my path. Mm-hmm. I'm a fan of, fan of Alfred Hitchcock. There's my path. So at least I built a path. Yeah. And my hope is that when you cross that path and you come in, you'll experience something which is better than you expected, richer than you expected. I, had, I saw one comment from somebody uh, who listened to episode one of Inside the Exorcist, and her comment was, so many emotions. And I thought that is exactly what I was going for. You know, yes, it's the sound of, of, of William Peter Blatty, the author of the book and, and, and screenplay, uh, as a five-year-old watching his father pack up his suitcase and walk out the door for the last time. Yes, that's in there. Yeah. It's Linda Blair cowering in a corner, hugging her dogs as her parents are arguing downstairs. Yes, that's in there. Hmm. Um, it's the story of an execution and the sound of an execution happening and the reaction of the people in the room when an execution is happening. Yes, that's in there. Hmm. And it's a story of, of a haunted boy who uh, is possessed by a demon and the sounds and the effects going on in his room, around his room, when the demon makes itself known. All of that is in there. And that's all episode one. Yeah. I mean, hopefully that's more than people expect. I'm sure. Have you always, as as far as you can remember, been this interested and this fascinated and this energized by you know media and publishing? I think my interest is in, I don't want to say storytelling because I feel that's so 
damn cliche. <laughs> yeah. You know, but my interest is in creating impact. Okay. You know, I think that's it more than anything. It's it's like demonstrating to you that wow, you know, this is cool. This is different. This is great in an in an in important way. And and you know, kind of having that that little voice inside of me, inside of all of us, having it come out in such a way as it can be heard and felt. That's really my interest in, in media. However, we define media is really the way in which that's manifested. It's the mechanism by which that's transported from me, the, the sender or what you call the publisher yeah. to you, the viewer or the listener. I mean, that's, that's, that's how it happens. So to, and to me, audio is just one way to do that. And it's a, it's a way with a particularly stark amount of upside today, I think, because it really, you know, it's, it's, it's really kind of a fresh field, a, a burgeoning field, mm -hmm. and it isn't worked over the way video is. You know, the thing about video, video is so great, right? Everybody loves videos, but now, you know, they're tools to take your story and, you know, convert it to a video with, with text over the video. And you can pump that out. You can pump that out almost automatically, yeah. right? So the, the amount of clutter that's out there in video is extraordinary. The amount of clutter that's out there in text is extraordinary. You know, there's actually not as much clutter in audio, if you think about it. And the reason, I think, is that it's not easy for us to be cluttered with audio mm -hmm. because you can only listen to one thing at a time. Yeah. And it takes a lot of investment to appreciate something you hear, right? A picture is worth a thousand words, but it takes a thousand words to get one picture. <laughs> a thousand words, if you work out the math, it takes a few minutes to get a thousand words. Well, that's a thousand words versus the blink of an eye. Mm -hmm. For me to invest that time and that attention, there's got to be something good on the other end. So that, to me, creates a, um, uh, a platform with a lot of degrees of freedom and a lot of upside. And that, I think, is why it's slower growing than video. That is why it's in an earlier stage of evolution than video. That is why it still has an awful lot of upside. If you think about all the amazing brands that we know today and ask, well, okay, you know, Walking Dead, what's the audio version of Walking Dead? Mm -hmm. And the answer is there isn't one, yeah. right? There are audio versions of Talking Dead. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a good point. There yeah. are plenty of audio versions of Talking Dead. In fact, I could argue that the Talking Dead is a video version of audio versions of Talking Dead, right? So the bar is very low. The idea that it's people talking about, you know, sharing spoilers from the latest episode of their favorite TV show, there's nothing new about that. There's nothing even terribly inventive about that. Mm. And there's nothing that's uniquely you about that. To generate that, you and I could do that show right now yeah. for the next 10 minutes. Easy, right? There's nothing hard about that. The to do inside the Exorcist Inside Psycho, to do inside Walking Dead, if I were to do that, yeah. that's hard. That involves months of effort, months of research, a whole lot of production, a whole lot of pain. But you end up with something that's, you know, I hope better and certainly something that's longer lasting. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, Inside Psycho, which was done end of last year, beginning of this year and was published in the spring. That's about to appear now on the Inside the Exorcist feed, yeah. so it'll be kind of a free bonus for Inside the Exorcist listeners. That that's evergreen. Yeah, I mean that's going to be as as compelling next year as it was this year. It'll be compelling two years from now. It is, in other words, very much like a TV series. Mm -hmm. You know, you can binge on old episodes of of uh, Walking Dead 
if you've never seen the show and it's just like yes it's just like they're brand new yeah, right yeah they are literally new to you especially well, when it goes to six is. seven eight seasons and you're like you forget that's right <laughs> that's right but now if you consider well you know how good is the uh the farid zakaria episode from 2015 you know maybe not so good what <laughs> about the uh i don't know this american life if it's a topical episode mm-hmm. from 2016 how is that today you know, this this is the reason why topical shows are more disposable yeah. than shows which are more evergreen. You need them when you need them, and then you don't need them at all because you've mm-hmm. moved on to the next day's show, right? Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about a relationship with uh, a mentor that comes to mind that, that you learned, uh, either ad- admired as you were coming coming through up the ranks, or just someone that you continue to um, either work with or are inspired by? I don't really have a mentor per se in that it's somebody that I've worked with closely on all this stuff because so much of this is new. I, you know, I think there are influences. Mm-hmm. I think anyone who does any kind of storytelling at all has to say they're influenced by the great Gene Shepard, mm. who is the legendary kind of radio storyteller from back in the day who uh, was on WOR in New York for years and is best known as the writer and narrator of A Christmas Story. Mm. So I think you'd have to say someone like that is is an inspiration. Certainly, uh, you know, I told a story about Orson Welles in the um, in Inside the Exorcist and what he did in his early radio days. I mean, you know, you mentioned the um, uh, War of the Worlds. Mm-hmm. I mean, to pull that off the way he did. Yeah. Was quite an achievement. And the other thing that he did that not a lot of people know is. He was kind of famous for rewriting things, and he would, uh, most infamous perhaps for rewriting Shakespeare, which is a sketchy task, (laughs) Um, um, and he would take plays and he would cut, he would shorten them significantly, and he would move scenes around, and it, it just, I think the lesson was that he could change the pacing of something, and he could change the impact of something without diminishing that impact, even when he's dealing with the bard. Yeah. And I, I mean, that influence you can see in what I'm doing, because, you know, these are very short scenes. These are all one to two, for the most part, they're one to two minute scenes. Mm-hmm. So they're all very, very quick, very fast moving. And that was certainly inspired by him. I think there's certain um, uh, other things in terms of uh, the, the moments of the shining, which are, you know, just moments of kind of uncomfortable silence. Yeah. Great movie. You look at the uncomfortable silence in The Shining, and I, I've certainly learned from that. There are certain other things. There's an, a, there's a, a, as much as we try to be original with the voice of the exorcist in this, um, there was one part, and again, I'm not going to give this way, where, where we, we took from a different movie mm-hmm. uh, that I found to be inspirational, um, that was a certain voice that I thought in many ways was scarier than, than the exorcist voice. So we kind of use that as a model. The, there's a scene in Exorcist where Billy Friedkin's sitting down and having a conversation with Orson Welles. Well, I, I kind of modeled that. I was inspired by a scene in Ed Wood okay. when Ed Wood is sitting down <laughs> with Orson Welles. So, you know, there are lots of stuff in here which is inspired in many ways. And even some of my the way I tell the story mm-hmm. is to some degree influenced by that insanely deep voice on the forensic files. If you've ever seen forensic files, <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, he's certain, 
he's got that guy's like 90 some odd years old by the way <laughs> really and he's got yeah he's really old and he's got like a certain of course most of the forensic files episodes are like 20 years old but he's got a certain way of delivering what he delivers that makes it that much more ominous so i kind of consciously adopted some of that and to with mixed effect because my voice is so far from his it's not even funny <laughs> but, but um it works yeah I, th I think that's so important because you know with so, just even some of the names and titles you rattled off i know there's some people going to be doing some research uh, looking up some some of the things you mentioned so that's always nice because it's almost like an, an homage oh and here's another one is that uh, there's uh um if you if you google arch obler hmm. The guy's name is Arch Obler, and he uh, was one of the famous old horror um, audio uh, radio shows from way back when. And he just created these incredible tapestries of uh, fearful audio. And so I would absolutely say that's an influence as well. And these are influences that, you know, virtually nobody who's listening to you are going to recognize yeah. most of these names. But that's what makes them interesting, you know, is we, we take all the stuff around us we put it together we create something new to the world and that's you know as creative as creating something from scratch that's what's so interesting is that uh once a podcaster has their first podcast there's inevitably ideas for more so as you're rattling off those names it almost lends itself to another <laughs> a podcast about the uh you know the, the the great voices of radio well you know it's it's like you have to decide what you want to do right yeah. and if what you want to do is create kind of a what i what i call a vanity cast mm-hmm which is a podcast for me and anyone who happens to see the world my way, that's fine. But you have to acknowledge that maybe, you know, a mass audience isn't going to embrace that. Yeah. Um, I mean, plenty of people do that. I think one of the reasons why podcasting is so popular among people who podcast is because it gives you the ability to vanity cast. I mean, you know, to independent film allows anyone to make a movie if they can, you know, rub two sticks together nowadays. And vanity casting allows anyone to make a podcast. That doesn't mean other people care to listen to it, but you can certainly make one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no one's <laughs> stopping you. I'm, and I'm, I think I'm just more interested in creating, you know, something that has a chance at popular entertainment. I really want to create something that has a chance of, of, of people listening to it en masse. And yeah. by the way, creating something good doesn't mean people are going to listen to it. That's true. Um, good and popular have never necessarily tracked together. Yeah. Very good point. <laughs> Um, so I'm not, I'm not imagining that, uh, but on the other hand, I think that, you know, which is better NCIS or, you know, feud on FX, mm. uh, well, feud on FX is clearly better, right? Than NCIS or Fargo on FX is yeah. clearly better than NCIS, which is more popular. Yeah. Well, NCIS is dramatically more popular. Yeah. So, um, there is a balance, right? And I think, I think I aspire to be feud in Fargo. I don't aspire to be NCIS. I'll take it if it comes, I will add. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> but but what I don't want to be is vanity cast. Yeah. Interesting point. Yeah, thanks so much for sharing that. Uh, just a couple of questions as we wrap up. What's uh, something you've changed your mind about recently? I think once upon a time, I might have thought that, that content really is king. Mm -hmm. And now I realize distribution's king and content is queen. Hmm. And that distribution is infinitely more important than content. You know, if uh, the my my friends at Wondery, they had the um, experience recently of debuting uh, their uh, podcast, their great podcast, Dirty John, yeah. um, number one on yeah. iTunes. And what I think a lot of people don't know is that 
show was actually number one before the first episode yeah. launched. Yeah. It's pretty impressive what they did. Yeah, well, but who helped them with that? And the answer is the people, their client there was the LA Times. Their partner was the LA Times. Yeah. And the LA Times not only, you know, created, co-created and co-produced it, but they had the um, uh, they had the power of the LA Times to make sure everyone knew it was coming, both the audio version and then, of course, the corresponding uh, written version or written, whatever you want to call that version now, yeah. <laughs> the digital slash written version, uh, the textual version uh, with pictures. And they had a big incentive to drive that. So between uh, the great content of the audio and the great uh, promotional drive of the L.A. Times with a vast audience of people who consumed L.A. Times content in and around L.A., you had a recipe for great success. Look at uh, the success of Lore as a podcast yeah. after after Amazon's series. Mm. Uh, without question, Lore is more popular after Amazon than before Amazon, right? Yep. So you could easily ask, well, is that because Lore was that good? Or is that because Amazon is that powerful and potent? Yeah. Well, clearly, Amazon Lore may or may not be that good, but Amazon is clearly that potent because the very same show after Amazon was more popular than the very same show before Amazon. Mm -hmm. So that goes to show you the impact of having this you know, parallel TV series. Uh, none of this is to diminish the power of uh, uh, Lore or uh, Dirty John. Certainly, it's to suggest that I wish L.A. Times had done a week-long series on Inside the Exorcist. <laughs> that would have been nice. <laughs> or, that, or that Amazon, you know, yeah. had that series ready to go. Yeah. I mean, all of that is but, – but that's my point. So what have I changed my mind on? I think the fact that I recognize now that distribution is more important than content. Then that's why I opened this rant at the beginning of the show with mm -hmm. talking about how – Unfortunate it is that podcasting is still such this weird speed bump for people mm -hmm. uh, and that the podcast app is still so comparatively crappy uh, that wouldn't it be great if 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 podcasting as a as a concept was as easy to consume as radio? Yeah. Uh, wouldn't that be great if it were as familiar and, you know, you knew what you were going to get and you got it every time and it was easy and ubiquitous and all that other stuff. And it, it, we, we can get there, but uh, it's not quite there yet. Yeah, that 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 whole campaign. I was in CVS and I was looking at the the stacks. I haven't bought a newspaper in a long time, and I and I looked at I did a double take because I'm like Dirty John on the cover of the LA Times. I was like, Yeah, What's okay, going it's on the here? Cover of the LA Times. I mean, let's not discount the impact of being on the cover of the LA Times. Yeah. Now, all credit to the LA Times. The LA Times can't turn around. It the LA Times needed Wondery as much as Wondery yeah, needed LA yeah. Times in order to make Dirty John what it was. There's no question about that. But let's recognize that that was a feat of distribution, which is why when you, uh, the, which is why the TV series that debuts after the Super Bowl, yeah, is likely to be the biggest hit on the network that season, and in fact that TV series is selected mm -hmm. because they believe it can be the biggest hit on the network that season, and that's why it gets the coveted slot. Lead-in counts. Hmm. Lead-in counts. And you know what lead-in is when you talk about podcasting? Well, it's either being promoted by a more popular podcast mm -hmm. or being fed into the feed of a more popular podcast or being promoted by the LA Times on the front page. 
you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's I, so I think, you know, you didn't ask this question, but on the horizon, yeah. I think are going to be more media brands embracing podcasts uh, from a partner standpoint so that, you know, it's not just the walking dead, but it's the walking dead podcast. Yeah. And the walking dead podcast is a parallel stream of content that relates to what's happening on the walking dead. And isn't just an after show. And that becomes its own kind of parallel track with its own possibility for spinoffs in a universe. You know, we talk about universe when we're talking about Marvel and DC comics, or we're talking about star Wars and Harry Potter, Yeah. but any, you know, content, uh, any pool of content can have its own universe. It's only if it's, popular enough to start with, then you can milk it for all it's worth going down uh, the road. Who would have thought that the investment that Disney made in um, um, Lucasfilm yeah. would have been worthwhile? Who thought that there were more <clears throat> than an extra two or three films left in that? <laughs> exactly. Now, and Marvel as well. And Marvel as well. And now we're going to be seeing Star Wars films until the day I die. <laughs> you know, there's going to be Star Wars films. Yeah. But at the time we thought, okay, well, is it really worth that much for the live, the catalog and another two or three movies that George may or may not even be involved in? Oh no. Oh no. Don't be limited to that kind of thinking. This is a universe of content we're talking about. Well, we are that's, talking, we are actually talking about space about. too. <laughs> yes. There is infinite space. <laughs> infinite space. Well, this has been really entertaining, Mark. Thank you so much for taking the time and just giving us your perspective on, on, on podcasting and and how excited you are, I think it's infectious and, and it gives people some ideas about what they can do that's going to be different uh, if they're looking to start new shows that are really going to capture the people's attention. Yeah, I hope so, because attention is the most important thing right now. It's the toughest to get, and uh, that's why distribution is so important today. Yeah, very, very good points. So what's the best place for folks to track you down? Um, you can hit me at, uh, at uh, mramsey at markramseymedia.com. Uh, or just, uh, find me on the web, wherever you find your podcast. There's uh, inside exorcist. There's inside, uh, inside the exorcist inside psycho. And, um, if you're into branding and marketing, then check out the one I do with the amazing, uh, brand guru, Tom Asacker. That one's called media unplugged. Okay. We'll make sure we have links to all those. Um, and I think what might be helpful is to actually grab a snippet of the, uh, inside the exorcist and we'll play it at the end of this, of this interview. All right, get ready to be scared, everybody. <laughs> well, thanks again for taking the time. Thank you. So thanks again to Mark Ramsey for coming on the show. So interesting. So many things that I didn't know. And I love his take on the fact of his, on the, on, on the point of his show being different than the fan base show. I know I touched upon it in my intro, but it was really interesting. And I love the fact that you can go deeper on a, sh on a movie that you're, you're really passionate about. Uh, like he is with uh, Psycho and with Inside uh, the Exorcists. They're just setting themselves up for a really interesting um, series of shows because you can always just go to a movie that has a lot of background like these shows, like these movies do, and just dig deeper for the super fans. So good stuff to follow. Stay tuned till the end of this uh, outro. I'm going to be playing... Uh, like I mentioned, a snippet of the show. So it's going to be really interesting. I've been trying out some different options um, like playing the snippets. And I think it's really a way for you to get engaged and learn a little bit more right here in the same stream um, about the shows we talk about. So I may be doing more of that. So stay tuned. We are a proud member of podcastica.com. 
and the intro and outro music, as always, composed by the magnificent Cedar and Soil, a.k.a. George Abiana. You can see his fantastic music at cedarsoil.com. Tune in next week. We've got a doozy. It's episode 150, another milestone. And of course, I had to pull out a big gun for that. Uh, it's my interview with the one and only Pat Flynn, host of Smart Passive Income. This one, I would say, is three years in the making, three and a half years in the making. Pat was one of the, the podcasters I saw at New Media Expo. Uh, so this is really a nice moment for me to to bring it back home, so to speak. And we really have a nice conversation. He was gracious enough to give me uh, the full hour. So it's it's just a, a testament to how he is. And I think you'll really enjoy that conversation. So stay tuned for that episode 150. If you made it this far, then you are no doubt searching, searching like the Holy Grail for the retention hashtag. It is inside Mark, hashtag inside Mark, M-A-R-K. And you can uh, copy Mark, sorry, tag Mark at Mark Ramsey Media, M-A-R-K-R-A-M-S-E-Y M-E-D-I-A. And of course, we are at, say it with me, podcast underscore junkies. Don't forget to sign up to our newsletter to receive my weekly episode updates if you haven't already. Very easy to do, podcastjunkies.com slash eight tools. And then we can start the conversation that way. If you're already a member of the newsletter policy, podcastjunkies.com slash iTunes. And make sure you subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Thanks so much for everything you do. And enjoy this little excerpt of uh, Inside the Exorcist. This is the place. It looks tranquil at the top of those steps. Let's see, do you have everything? Good. They warn you. Be prepared. They usher you in. Place looks pristine, placid, nice. Up there, they tell you, up those stairs. That room there, behind that door. Are you ready? They told you to be ready. There will be no second chance. In 1973, hell came home and invaded the body of a young girl. This is the story of a movie and its makers. It's a tale of dark and light, of loss and love. A story of faith and fury, of causes and curses, of horrors real and imagined, of unbridled ego and brute force filmmaking. It's the movie critics called Religious Pornography. 
and occultist claptrap. The movie that left audiences hysterical. Decades later, it remains perhaps the most frightening movie we will ever see. From Wondery, this is a seven-part deep dive inspired by the story behind an unforgettable classic movie. This is Inside 